Living with Diabetes, a podcast from Diabetes Victoria with Jack Fitzpatrick. Hello one and all, thanks for tuning in to Living Well with Diabetes, the official Diabetes Victoria podcast. This is a great forum for those of us impacted by diabetes, whether it be directly or indirectly, to discuss ideas, share stories and build our diabetes community. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, ex-Melbourne and Hawthorne AFL player and current Diabetes Victoria ambassador. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we are meeting today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and indeed to the traditional owners of the lands on which you may be tuning in from. I would also like to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging, and to other Aboriginal people present today. On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by not one, but two very special guests. I think it's fair to say that if anyone could write an expert's guide to caring for people who live with diabetes, it's Jade Erickson. Not only does her husband Mick live with type 1, but her son Justin Bratby does as well. I'm lucky to have both Jade and Justin join me today, and hello to you both. Hello, Jack. Thanks for having us. Thank Thanks. you for coming on. How are we feeling? Not too nervous? A uh, little bit nervous, but should be good. I'm sure you'll be fine. And what about you, mate? Yeah, a little bit nervous, but overall, I'm well. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Sugars are good. We tested before the show, and they're at a nice level. So that's always good when you're talking about diabetes. So, Jade, I'll start with you, first of all, and, sure. and talk about your husband, Mick. Yep. At what age was, was he diagnosed with diabetes? Uh, so Mick was diagnosed before I met him. Yep. Uh, he was 17 and I met him when he was 20. So he was still fairly new, three years, yep. and got a, a late teenager, probably not the most ideal time in your life, although is there any ideal time? Yeah. Uh, and so I feel like he had it pretty much under control when we met him. I didn't really... Feel like I needed to know anything about diabetes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that that cha- that changed really quickly. I think probably for the first few months that we went out, um, everything just cruised along normally until we had a couple of scary incidents, and that's probably when I realised, oh, this is a condition that I probably need to be a little bit more aware of than what I am now. Yeah, and when you say scary incidents, are we talking hypos in public? What sort of kind of stuff? Yeah, so he had um, he stayed at our house the night. In the lounge room, might I add, mum, much to mum's, yeah, I'll make sure mum knows that. Uh, yeah, he stayed in the lounge room overnight and when we went to wake up in the morning, he didn't wake up. Right. So his eyes were rolling and he couldn't speak and he just was still. Yeah. He was breathing. Yeah. But I really had no idea what that was. Yeah. And mum was the one that said, I think he's having a hypo and called his dad and and we figured out a plan, putting honey under his tongue and and he woke up out of it with mum and I standing over the top of him crying. And he's like, what the hell is going on? I don't know what you're doing. So this, at this stage you knew he, he had diabetes? Yes, I knew he had diabetes from the first day that we went out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So at this point in time you obviously didn't know a great deal about the condition. Was it, is it not. fair to say that at this stage you're – you probably had the, the stereotypical preconceived ideas of diabetes of maybe people eat a bit too much sugar or, or they don't well, eat well. Or, or I don't think I had any preconceived ideas. I just don't think I knew anything about it. I had no experience with anyone that had type 1 or type 2 diabetes. Um, no, one, no family or close friends had the condition. And so it wasn't until Mick said, oh, I've got type 1 diabetes that I just said, oh, yeah, we just moved on and went to the movies and did what other, you know, teenage couples did. Yeah. And... So it wasn't until the, that that scary incident happened that I thought, okay, 
uh, this is more than just I've got diabetes. And, I need to know a bit more about this. And how far into to dating him was this? Was it a couple of weeks, couple oh, of months? Oh, it was too far in to say see you later. <laughs> uh, I think it was... From memory, it was about three months. Yeah, I don't, I don't really remember the exact time. So a decent amount of time. A decent amount of time that I'd seen him have jelly beans and he'd test his sugar and and just have insulin and all the main things that you see people with diabetes do, but you don't see anything that goes on in the background. The, the thinking involved with with type one diabetes and what happens behind the scenes. So then, from there, you, you sort of said, oh. You've got diabetes, cool, and, and it seems like you've got it under control and you'll be fine and this yep. will probably never impact you yep. to then all of a sudden you having to, I guess, become an expert in it and, and understand yeah. um, everything about it, the perils yep. about it, you know, yep. the, all of that, the, the care and the management required. Yep. How long do you reckon it took you to understand all that sort of stuff? Well, I'd probably say that even after that scary incident, I became more involved in day-to-day management, not management, but I just was more aware of what he was doing and decisions that he was making and I asked a lot more questions. But I probably didn't become what I would call an expert, even if I would call myself that now, until Justin was diagnosed. Yeah. Because I did, for those of us who've got kids, the idea of taking care of yourself or your partner or your husband is so different to taking care of your child. Yeah. Feeling responsible for your child's life means that you become an expert. Yeah, ab- quick. absolutely. Yeah. And, and I suppose as much as I, I would imagine the difference being that whilst obviously you want to take care of him and these incidents can happen, like yep. you know, not waking up, et cetera, he's a, a grown man and an adult yep. who can sort of look after himself a lot more than what a, a young child would absolutely. be Absolutely. And it's, I think it's really important to, in the boundaries of a relationship, for me not to be his carer, Yeah. for me to be his partner. And he makes his own decisions about his diabetes. Sometimes I shake my head on the sidelines, yeah. but that's it is what it is. When you're an adult, you get to make your own decisions, but once you're the parent of a child with type 1 diabetes, it's when you start to realise the seriousness of it and how much control and regiment needs to happen. And Yes, and just before we do start touching on, on Justin and sure. his diagnosis, you said so Mick had had it for about three years approximately at this stage yep. when you met. Yep. Uh, were you about the same age at this time? Uh, I was two years younger. Okay, so, so I was 18. 18 and he was 20 yep. when we met. So yep. you and, and at eighteen years old, you just had no experience with it whatsoever. No, zero okay. experience at all. Yeah, yep. and, and then you you have this relationship with Mick, and, and you go on, and um, you know you, you've been together now for however long, and, and you think you have a pretty good grasp of it, but then all of a sudden, you know, you you have Justin. Yep. Um, Justin, yeah, talk me through your diagnosis story. What of it you remember, and, and what of it you've been told? Um. So. When I went to the toilet about five, six times in an hour and my mum said, I think he's got diabetes, out of the blue. Um, and, and how old were you at this stage? Four. Yep. And I, my dad thought it wasn't, it, I didn't have it. And so my mum just wanted to make sure. So my dad checked me and I was, I think was 22. And I was screaming at that point because it hurt so much. On your finger, yeah. For the first time, yeah. And so then they tested my ketones and they were like three or four. Mm -hmm. And they rushed me to hospital. Yes. And from then I just remember having like a, you could say like a, a big metal piece of, I don't even know, technology on my arm. Yeah. And my dad bought me a bear. 
You're right. <laughs> so I'm sure the bear cured everything, mate. <laughs> yeah. um, so, okay, so you're at four years old at this point in time. Yeah. Obviously your dad was living with diabetes at this stage. How much of it had you seen him involved with? Um, did you even know at, at the age of four that your dad had diabetes or had you never really paid too much attention to it? I hadn't paid too much attention really. I just thought that was everyone's dad. I thought that's what everyone did. Yeah. Yeah, so if they're pricking their finger or if they're giving themselves an injection and all those kinds of things, you just that was normal to you, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, it had to become pretty normal pretty quickly, I suppose. So, and how old are you now? I'm 11. You're 11. Okay. So this is about seven years ago that that you've since had this and, and been learning with it. Jade, you just picked up out of the blue at the time and said, I yeah. think he's got diabetes. Yeah. It's an interesting comment from obviously you, you've been living with Mick and Mick has it and you've been so involved in that. Yeah. But you were also were never around for the diagnosis of, of Mick's I wasn't. diabetes. So how did you become aware of the signs and symptoms so quickly? So I think Mick just telling the story of how he was diagnosed, um, that he, he'd lost a lot of weight and that he was going to the toilet and drinking a lot. So though I, I knew that when we had kids that there was going to be a really small chance that one of them would get type 1 diabetes, but never enough to think, oh, like we don't want to have kids or it was never going to put us off. Um, but I was, I didn't think I was overly aware of the symptoms, but clearly as a mum, I was. Yeah. And so as soon as he, oh, he, he, he woke up one night at 10 o'clock and said, I need to go to the toilet. And that's when I said to Mick, oh, I do worry about them getting diabetes. Yeah. And he brushed it off like I was a nut job. Yeah. And then the next morning is when we had a, a birthday party and he went to the toilet a few times and we checked his sugar and the rest was history. So then um, I suppose, I guess, you hear the stories of, of, of it's often excessive urination, excessive yep. thirst, things like this. Before getting up to go to the toilet and, and going to the toilet a lot in, in the one hour, had you had any – Suspicions? Did you notice um, Justin had been losing a little bit of weight, or was it just at this time? It was straight away you've gone, or oh, this might be it. That was it. Was just that one time. This was it. There was no no lead up events that he wasn't sick. There was nothing to hang your hat on. Even looking back, reflecting on it, there was nothing. He hadn't lost any weight. He we obviously caught it quite quickly. I mean, no one knows how long it takes to develop, and yeah. um, but we obviously caught it in enough time that we were in and out of hospital in a day and. And then from there, what's the next day, the next week, the next six months in particular look like for both yourself and for Mick? How, how does it look? Um, you obviously have such a great understanding of diabetes, but all of a sudden, again, it, you spoke about how it's so different when, when it's your child. So different. And I probably think that I thought I had an understanding of diabetes. Can I just say here too, whenever I say diabetes, I'm referring to type 1 diabetes. Yeah. I know that lots of people in the diabetes community like to know whether you're talking about type 1 or type 2. And because we are mostly associated with type 1, every time I just say the word diabetes, it means type 1 for us. Yeah. Um, sorry, I forget the question now. <laughs> no, I would say that I guess that initially for you guys how different it was for you when it's your child who's got it and, oh, yeah. and the adjustment for that. Yeah, so I thought both. I knew about diabetes and then when, once Justin got diagnosed that you just realise the magnitude of information and logistics that you need to know about to keep your child safe and alive. Like at, at no other point had I had to keep him alive. Yeah. You know, like human functions just do that for themselves and you might want to keep them happy or, or safe from a situation, but just to keep them safe from their own general body mm -hmm. is full on. It's so emotionally stressful. Yeah. 
And it's 24-7. It's 24-7. And that that was probably the biggest um, impact on our lives was the emotional, the relentless nature of the emotional stress that, that came along with it. Yeah. Because the physical things you can you can do, you can prick the finger and you can give insulin and you can eat the foods at the right times and you can control some of the things that you need to control, even though you can't control the levels. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't control the emotional stress that yeah. came with thinking, I don't know if you're safe. Yeah, and, and I do want to come back and touch on that emotional stress and things like support networks a yep. little bit later if, yep. if we can. Yeah, sure. Um, Justin, for you... How much did you have to learn and did you sort of, or or the doctors, was it very much saying you have to get used to this and and you have to become really good at this or was it more at this stage it was all about mum and dad doing it for you? Was it it a bit of a combination? I think it was more mum and dad and then the nurses in like the first couple of weeks, they always came over to our house and they um, did the needles and that. Yep. for us, and they showed us how for, like, the first couple of weeks. Yeah. But overall, I think I had to learn how to check my sugar and then they do the injections. It was on, like, the second year that I actually learned how to inject myself. So at about five or six years old, you were starting yeah. to inject yourself. And do you remember your first hypo? Do you remember how you felt and, and if you recognised it or if it wasn't until you checked your sugars? I don't actually remember, but I'm pretty sure that I was quite lethargic and I didn't have much emotion. Yeah. I was just slopping on the couch, really. Yeah, which is more what you do when you're a teenage boy and not <laughs> yeah. not a young boy. Um, on that note, so you sort of slowly start to get a grasp of this and um, you've got nurses coming over to your house and teaching you how to inject and I'm sure that, you know, your dad's been able to give you a lot of handy hints, et cetera, but all of a sudden you have to start going to kindergarten and school and um, I hate using the word normal life, but um, for want of a better word, inverted commas, you have to be living a normal life of what all the other boys in your class um, are doing, going to school, playing sport at lunch, all these kinds of things, but you have something that's a little bit different. So what was it like when you, um, I'll start with you, Justin, when you first started going to school? Um, when I first started going to school, mum would come in and inject me, or I would, but she would always come in and I would be like five minutes late. It, it wasn't a big deal. Yep. It was just five minutes yep. of my life. A- and were other kids understanding or did they not really know or? Uh, at that stage, they didn't really know because I didn't really know about it, so yep. I couldn't really tell them. Yeah. Yeah, and what about for you when you go to send him off to school? And and I think you know a lot of parents find it hard for the first time when they're sending their kid off, and they've yeah. probably never really spent so long yeah. without them. And yeah. you know maybe they've got a babysitter or a grandparent or an uncle or something. But yeah. in terms of essentially a stranger, a school teacher starting to look after their kid. Yeah. But you know you've got the extra layer of it of oh what happens yes. if he's having a hypo? How is he feeling? All yeah. of these kinds of things. Is he you know I'm sure the stress around things like being bullied by other kids if he's a little bit different. How, how was this for for you and Mick? So he got diagnosed the first week of kinder. So he'd had one kinder session and then it must have been on a Friday or something. And then he got diagnosed on the Sunday. So I rang kinder and I said oh look we're not going to be in tomorrow. He's been diagnosed with diabetes. So for about the first month I went to kinder with him. Because it was only like four hours or something, and at that stage I wasn't working. Yeah. So it made it a little bit easier, I suppose, the, the transition. 
Um, the kinder teachers did not know about type 1 diabetes. They hadn't been trained in, in the care or management of anyone with type 1 diabetes. They were fantastic. They, they went and did the training and they listened to everything that we thought we knew about, even though it was a step-by-step process for us as well. Um, and kinder went along very well he, because it was short sessions, um, no, nowhere near as much expectation on what had to be happening during the day with work. And, and so it, it didn't seem too, well, now that I think about it, it didn't seem too stressful. I was stressed at the time. There was a lot of crying going on. Yeah. <laughs> there, was, there was a lot of um, planning and talking about diabetes and really if I'm really honest, my whole life revolved around type 1 diabetes yeah. at that stage. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he'd only been, di- been diagnosed for one day. So the first probably few months at least were learning about every single second of the day and how everything affected him and, and what to do in that situation. Yeah. And, yeah. and as you're starting to go through school, Justin, things like kids' birthday parties are coming along or or maybe your friends are wanting to sleep over at your house or they want you to sleep over at their house Kids' birthday parties, there's always some good food, some fairy bread and some soft drink and things like that. Would, did you just have to miss out on that sort of stuff or was there sugar-free stuff or, or did you just go and treat yourself at times? How would you deal with that? Well, one of my first parties that I went to, it was one of my friend Dominic's. He had – the mum was really good. She had these – instead of normal lollies for me, she had sugar-free gummy bears. Very, very nice. And – I wasn't as lucky for dinner. I got pizza, so obviously really high carb. Yeah. So I went to about 15. I got my Max Bolus. Yeah. That was my first Max Bolus, I'm pretty sure, because um, I had like two slices of pizza and I think I wanted a couple nuggets and chips. Yeah. So obviously I'm going to go to 20. Does sound pretty yummy to me. Yeah. <laughs> I can't blame you for that. And for, for you, um, Jade, things like this, so sleepovers, kids' parties, etc. Yep. How's firstly the logistics behind it? Yep. And secondly, I, I guess the stress once again, what yep. kind of, you know. So the logistics behind it, I'm okay with because I'm always a planner. I love having things planned out in a box, which, you know, type one does, does not fit into. Um, but I, I'm very confident talking to the other parent, telling them, um, what he needs to do and what's going to happen at the party. But actually most of the time I stayed at all the parties. So I didn't really want to burden anyone else with the responsibility of looking after a child with type 1. And probably part of that was I didn't ever want him to miss out. Yep. And I knew that if the parent felt burdened, he might not be invited yep. again. Yeah, which is and the worst possible thing in terms of you missing out, Justin, would, would just be not fair. But – Coming throughout school, and and now you're a little bit older, you're 11, and and I'm sure that you you tested your sugars before we came on and and they were really good. The more you start taking care of yourself and and doing things at school in front of other children and and they notice that you have got this condition that you're living with and um, it does just make you a little bit different. Are other kids accepting? Do they ask a lot of questions or do they leave you you alone or, or how does that sort of work? I'm any normal kid at, at school, really. I've done a couple of presentations to the school, to um, just my class. Um, yeah, I've I've just talked about it to them and a couple of my best friends, they, they know that when I'm not feeling great, I need a test. 
So they'll take me to sick bay and I'll test and if I'm alright, I'm alright. If I'm not, um, they'll stay with me and I'll wait it out until I'm alright. And my my experience talking to whether it be other kids or you know people my age or older is that people who have never had diabetes before or been involved with it or experienced it is that they will often ask a lot of questions because it's so foreign to them. And sometimes they will say things um, or ask questions that can seem insulting or, or quite naive or, or even quite rude. But my experience is that 95% of the time, these people are just so unfamiliar with what they're experiencing that they just ask the first thing that comes into their head. And it might seem like they're a little bit rude or whatever, but they actually just want to know when they're interested. Um, is that a fair comment to say for the kids at school? Yeah, yeah, but they they say it in a really nice way. They they don't really know how to say it like, oh, you have diabetes, you're different from me. They just say, oh, you have diabetes. Yeah, yeah, which is a, a great way to be. So I guess your outlook and, and management styles on, on diabetes and um, the way I, I suppose you view it um, – Talk, talk me through the household dynamic because obviously Mick's still got to be looking after himself and, yep. and he's managing himself full time. And obviously, Justin, you're looking after yourself and, and Jade, you're doing both. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, oh, look, the lifestyle works because families that, are, that live together love each other and you do what each family member needs. And so in our family, um, we well, – I don't want to say diabetes comes first, but – we really make sure that we take care of both Mick and Justin's diabetes um, and it's at the forefront of our mind so that the rest of our life can be lived really in inverted commas, like you said before, normally. Yeah. And I feel like when we don't um, put diabetes first, life has to stop sometimes because then you have hypos and hypers and, and it, it interrupts actual living Yeah. rather than um, if you just think about it for the first few minutes of whatever situation you're in. Yeah. You can live it's through not, that situation. It's not about ignoring it and putting it to the side and hoping everything works out. No. If you work with it, then in, yep. in, in some essence it, it works with you, I guess. Absolutely. Obviously, yep. sometimes there are things that happen and, and yep. pop up regardless of how well prepared you are. Yep. Um, you, you, you've got an interest, not in, interesting, but um, a very practical sort of, um, you know, we've touched base before speaking on this and you've spoken that you guys just like to control the controllables and that's yep. a bit of a motto yep. for you guys. Yep, yep. What does that mean to, to you both? So I think probably um, when I say control the controllables, like I was a primary school teacher who I was in control of my 30 students and and I was very used to having things planned out and prepared and scheduled and timed and then type 1 diabetes entered. I mean, I was, you know, it was there with Mick too, but it wasn't so regimented. And it, it didn't like to fit within the guidelines and the rules and the boundaries that we'd sort of created for our family. Um, and I would say that we're pretty relaxed as a family. Cruzy, take things as it comes. We don't overly plan and prepare things. But one, when it comes to diabetes, we do. We take it very seriously and we plan and prepare everything that we possibly can. And one of the things that we do, I think this is what you're touching on, Jack, that we've spoken about before, is that we have a low-carb approach to our diet mm-hmm. at home. Yeah. And so Mick, myself and Justin all follow a low-carbohydrate diet. Yeah. And I only do – I don't do that for well, – I mean, it is healthy and beneficial for me too, but I don't do that because of any kind of medical or health need for me. I just do that to support 
those two yeah. and to show that it's achievable and that I don't need to have the carbohydrates, neither do you. And and, and in some ways I suppose you're living their life and, and walking a, a step yeah. in, in their shoes. Yeah. And um, obviously there will be people listening and, and um, there's a lot of talk about different diets, whether yeah. it be low-carb, high-fat, et cetera. Um, and, you know, Diabetes Victoria, I have to preface is that um, there's no endorsement of this being a go and switch to low-carb, high-fat approach. It's yep. always whatever you're doing. It has to be in touch with your diabetes care management program and, and system and your doctors, educators, endocrinologists. And this is obviously a lifestyle that works for you and it's great. Yep. Um, how long have you been involved in this? I think um, about three years now we've done a low-carb approach. So I think for the first four years well, about the first three years, we just went along with the flow and ate all the party food and did it, you know, ate like the general population ate. And then we started to discover that if we didn't eat any carbs at dinner, that overnight seemed to flow really nicely and that his levels didn't fluctuate as much. And it just started to spark much more of an interest to, well, if his overnight levels aren't fluctuating because there's no carbs and no insulin, what might happen if we did that for one of the other meals in the day? Yeah. And then what might happen if we didn't do that, at, you know, if we took away the carbs at a snack? Mm-hmm. And and so very slowly, like over about the course of a year, we started to experiment with with um, living a much lower carbohydrate way. And what about you, Justin? How, how have you found the changes of this? Do you, I mean, obviously, you, you, at times you probably want to eat some form of carbohydrates, but have, do you overall find that it's helping? Yeah, it's helping a lot and I don't really want to eat carbohydrates because I know what it'll do to me, um, but there are times where I feel like I am not missing out but not getting what I could be, not yep. getting everything that I could. Yeah, and, and I actually, so for about 12 months I personally went on the low-carb, high-fat diet and, and was very thorough with it. Um, and, and found that it helped, you know, it minimised the number of times I was injecting. And I, I did feel I felt healthy and fit and strong and was still able to play AFL football with it. In the end, I've reverted back to what's more of a, for want of a better word, traditional diet, just purely based around a lifestyle choice. Um, I missed eating things like bread, um, all those kinds of things, eat, being able to eat pasta at dinner. Doesn't mean what you're doing is wrong or what you're doing is right and, and vice versa. It is, again, we're not here to endorse something specific. Yeah. Um, it's all what works for the individual. Yep. But I think the message here is that you've found what does work for you guys yes. and you stick to it and you have a plan in place. Yep. And and you're not going to sit here and say you definitely have to try low-carb, high-fat. Absolutely fat. not. I think the message you guys are getting across is certainly we've found what works for us and we stick yep. with it. Yep. And if you want to try it, absolutely fine. Do it in conjunction with doctors, with all of these people. Yep. Yep. Um, obviously, don't go out on a limb and just try no. different things. Yep. I know that when I was changing to low-carb, high-fat, I had the footy club doctor, et cetera. Sure. Um, is that a good way to sum it up? Absolutely. But I, th- I think probably overall it wasn't just when you, when someone changes their diet, oftentimes it's um, about weight or management of, of a health condition. But I think probably the biggest impact that being low-carb has had on us as parents, not this is not necessarily on Justin at all, but it has just taken away the emotional roller coaster of wondering whether he was going to have a hypo and how high he's going to go from a certain food and is he going to be able to participate in the physical activity because he ate an hour ago and now his insulin is peaking right now but he wants to play cricket and that that's just not there anymore yeah. because we've only got very tiny doses of insulin on board 
And on this emotional roller coaster, it's a great segue, probably on our last topic of conversation before we, we run out of time. Um, you spoke earlier about the emotional journey of diabetes, yep. and you've got the physical stuff about when you're pricking your finger and when you're bolusing if you need to and what you're eating. It's all physical stuff, and that's the stuff you can control. Yep. The stress levels that come with it, um, having support networks, some people who just they think they understand, but the reality is they don't. Yep. Um what kind of stuff can you talk about in this instance? Have you have you got a support network? Is it just you three as a real tight-knit family? What, what does this look like for you guys? Yep, so I'll just say there is four of us in the family. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, all good. We have got Jamie, our daughter, as well. Apologies. Um, How old's Jamie? Jamie is 12. Okay. Yep, just about to start high school. She would be just an expert as well, I would imagine. She, yeah, she's pretty good. Yeah. Um, uh, so the emotional roller coaster is – well, for us, was the biggest impact with Justin being diagnosed. I didn't have the emotional roller coaster with Mick there, um, having type 1, other than when an actual incident occurred. But I wasn't fearful for his life or his safety or I feel like he had it under control. And also he was in an adult body. So everything is slightly slower impact in an adult body than in a four-year-old's body. So if Justin was having a hypo and um, it, it could be very quick, that it would drop. Yeah. Um, and so it was scary. I was frightened a lot. And I felt like um, the people around us, I feel like they needed to know everything on the first day and that was impossible. And so basically I just stayed with him all the time, yeah. which I don't know, at four it probably didn't cramp his style. If I was still doing that now at 11 it might cramp his <laughs> style, but thankfully I, I don't have to do that anymore. So, yeah, the emotional journey has been tough and still is sometimes. Sometimes I catch myself getting really emotional about just a topic that I thought I'd completely moved on from. Yeah. And but it's your child. Yeah. Like, you you know, it's it's so emotional because you love them so much. Of course. And, and, and Justin, for you, you've obviously got, you know, your mum, your dad and your sister who – you're also close with and your dad is is in the same, you know, he's living with it just like you are and, and your mum is all across it and I'm sure that Jamie is too. But I'm sure there are times where, and maybe I'm wrong, so tell me if I am, but um, there are other kids at school or other kids playing sport or other kids at parties for you where they just don't have to worry about the same stuff that you have to worry about. Does this upset you? Does it annoy you? Does it frustrate you? Um, because all those emotions are completely normal and completely okay. But does does this ever happen to you? No, not really. Like they they all eat everything, but I just don't. I I just I don't feel mad or anything. I just think to myself, um, well, do I want to live a happy, healthy life, or do I want to die twenty six? It's a very, very, very practical approach. It's it's very mature. It's it's not what I expected to hear, but I, I think it probably comes back to what you were talking about with the controlling the controllables. Yeah. In terms of for you, you can't control getting diabetes, and regardless of of how you feel about it, if you're happy about it, you're sad about it, you're angry. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, none of that actually changes what you can control in terms of what you're eating, how the lifestyle you live. So you almost sound like you're saying, mate, just get on with it because you just have to deal with it in the best way you can. Is is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty simple outlook, mate, but it seems like you're doing it pretty good. Your sugars were six before we started. <laughs> so if mine was six before I started, I'd be pretty happy, I reckon. I think just living in our house too, 
I don't know if it's different for people that only have one person with type 1, but having two people, that's half of us in the house with type 1 diabetes. And it would be a pretty miserable household if we were moping around, you know, wallowing in our own self-pity of two of us have got diabetes and this is so unfair. So really from day one we're like, okay, well, behind the scenes I was crying, as I said, a lot. Yeah. But – in the, in the real world, day to day and minute to minute, we're just getting on with it. Yeah. Because, you know, you still got to play cricket and go to parties and, and you know, do, do what you want to do and yeah. find a way to live your life really fully. And I think it's it's probably a great note to just about finish on. I mean, I know that um, the reason I became an ambassador with Diabetes Victoria was because you speak to a lot of people, whether it be adults or children, teenagers who think that they've got diabetes and because they've got it, they can't live the life they want to or it has to stop them from doing something. Now, at times, can it be a little bit harder for us? Well, yeah, it can. We've just got more to deal with. But, I mean, I personally just tried to show that I was able to live the life that I wanted to by controlling the controllables and it didn't have to stop me from getting to chase my dreams and chase my goals. And um, I think that's the reality of the situation. I have a bit of a theory that um, whatever higher power, whatever your religion, whether it be God or or whatever else, you only ever get – dealt with something if you're capable of overcoming it. Yeah. That's how I how I see it. And I think those of us with diabetes and those of us in these type of situations, we're all capable of overcoming this and living with it. Yep. And so many of us do it so well. Yeah. I, I had this, when I was teaching, I had this theory that in my next life, not that I actually even believe that, but in my next life, I'm going to come back incapable because they're just not expected to do anything and have responsibility. But I I don't know if I would actually change anything in my life right now because I wouldn't say you you want to get type 1 diabetes, but the um, responsibility and maturity that Justin has shown by having this condition and just how much he's grown as a person I'm not sure that he would have had that opportunity to go through that had it not been for type 1 diabetes. Undoubtedly. And I'm sure, you know, me talking to you now, mate, and I'm sure that everyone listening in can can listen and see how mature your outlook is and um, they're probably amazed that you're only 11 years old. You're speaking like a much older and wiser person. We have run out of time, but before we do finish up, is there anything else you guys wanted to touch on or feel like you wanted to talk about um, or are you guys just happy to have come on and, and shared your story and, and again, Again, just continue to build that community of, of people living with diabetes who, in a sense, are all in it together? Well, pretty much that. I, I will touch back on one thing that you asked and I, I didn't really answer in the support networks is that I think it is super important to just find the people that you trust yeah. and um, let them know how you're feeling because they don't, they, they're not going to understand unless you tell them. So it's not just about the logistics of looking after someone but the emotional journey that you are on and how it impacts your emotions and your feelings all the time. Um, so having that outlet of people to talk to is super important, as important as the practicalities of, yeah. of diabetes. And, and that whether that be a friend, a trained professional, yep. a parent, a, a partner, whatever yep. that might all be. All of the above. Yeah, yep. 100%. Yep. Thank you both so much for making the time to come in and talk and share your story. Um, it's multifaceted. Um, it's been emotional. But, I, I, again, Justin, the way you, you've handled it, the way you've spoken, um, so proud of you. Um, I feel like whenever I meet someone else with diabetes, we're already best friends. I don't know if you agree with that. Um, and then, Jade, as well, thanks for your perspective. You know, you, you've got two people, you you know, 24-7, so you're effectively, what, 48, 14 um, <laughs> diabetes. So, Thank you again to both of you. It's been great to chat and I wish you both um, and the rest of your family all the best going forward. Thanks for having us, Jack. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the program. If you'd like to contact us, it's very easy. Simply send an email to podcast at diabetesvic.org.au. Or, of course, all the information you'll need is on the website, diabetesvic.org.au. 